Welcome to episode number 46, Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Cody Sims, who is a partner at Techstars. And if you don't know, Techstars is the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. And they are one of the most active early stage venture investors in the world. And their portfolio has gone on to raise $6 billion in follow-on capital. And the Techstars Accelerator programs, they're the first investor in around 5% of all Series A financing in the U.S., which is just absurd. Prior to Techstars, Cody was the chief product officer at StumbleUpon, the VP of product management at Yahoo!, a product manager at the New York Times, Sprint, and NBC Internet. In this episode, we dig into not only Cody's career, but also Techstars itself and what they're looking for in founders or potential founders that want to get into their accelerators and so many things related to starting and growing businesses jam-packed full of insights in this episode. Do not miss out. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you can support the show by leaving a rating and review and subscribing to the show there as well. And recently, I began coaching, helping people launch and grow businesses, helping people launch podcasts, providing some insights into this whole business world or podcasting at justgogrind.com slash coaching. So go ahead and check that out. Without further ado, here is Cody Sims, a partner at Techstars. Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on. And obviously, we're going to dig deep into tech stars. But I, I did want to ask about your product experience because you were at StumbleUpon, Yahoo, New York Times, Sprint, NBC Internet, so many different companies. Have you always wanted to be in product? Or was that always kind of something you wanted to do? That's a funny question. I had no intention of going into product when I sort of first started working <laughs> and kind of quickly fell into that route. Um, and, and it was a, it really an, a, a kind of an interesting journey. So way, way back in the dark ages, um, when I was in college, my <laughs> undergraduate focus was on Chinese language and Chinese history. And then I lived in China a couple of times way back in college in the late 90s. And then after I finished college in the Midwest, I wasn't ready to move all the way to China full time. I wanted to stay in the U.S., but decided to move to the West Coast because I guess I assumed there was maybe more business happening with Asia out of the West Coast. Yeah. And so I moved to San Francisco, <laughs> you know, was trying to get a job using my Chinese language skills. But actually, at the time, you know, China wasn't yet even in the WTO. We were sort of on the heels of the East Asian financial crisis of the late 90s. And believe it or not, there actually wasn't a whole lot of opportunity. Plus, not to mention, I didn't really have any other tangible skills. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was a liberal arts major, so I could write a right. paper. You know, I'm not sure I necessarily had a, a ton of employable skills. But unbeknownst to me, the whole dot-com boom was sort of happening at the time. And yes. so I, uh, I ended up finding my way to a first job at a little search engine that was sort of a you know, pre-Google era search engine um, called snap.com back when uh, search engines were still edited by humans and, and sort of curated by humans. And, uh, and, and my job, my first job out of college was, the title was associate producer, but basically it was a data entry person that was kind of a human search algorithm. So <laughs> I scoured the internet and found, I, I managed the travel category for the search engine. So 
I scoured the internet and found interesting travel sites and cataloged them into the search engine so that they would show up in the search results. Goodness. <laughs> I realize my story is getting a little long-winded here. Anyway, that company ended up getting acquired by NBC, um, and then NBC spun it out as its own uh, independent IPO called NBC Internet, which had a brief moment of an IPO and the NASDAQ. Um, and then, you know, nine or 12 months later, the stock cratered to whatever, $2 and everyone was laid off. Um, and that, you know, so it was the journey of late 90, early 2000s, dot-com boom and bust. But in the meantime, in my couple years at that company, I started to see the folks who were really helping to drive the future of what the website was becoming all had the title of product manager. And this yeah. was, you know, this was sort of very early in the notion of what online product management even was. And so I kind of quickly thought, hey, that sounds like if I'm going to do this, that seems like kind of a cool path to go after. And kind of after six or nine months of doing the, you know, sort of website editing, finding websites and plugging them into the search engine. <laughs> um, I ended up uh, transferring to a different group where my job was an associate product manager and I was responsible for an area of the website that was kind of the equivalent of almost like what Yelp is today to some extent. It was like a local city guide part of, yeah. of the search engine. And so, you know, really took it upon myself to do a bunch of this is, you know, pre-Google Analytics, pre-Omniture, like there was no, there were no web analytics. So I kind of took it upon myself to learn how to access the server logs and figure out like what users actually wanted on the site and started <laughs> understanding like what users were looking for and use that to start to make recommendations on how we should change the page layouts and change the products and stuff. And that was sort of my first exposure to online product management. And then I spent about the next 10, next 15 years of my life sort of doing that in various capacities. It's crazy how you fell into that. I mean, you just never know, I guess, where you can go. And it's one of those things where you chase opportunity, it seems like, and good things tend to happen, especially if you give it some time. And you've obviously been at many different companies and you enjoyed product enough to be there, you know, like 15 years, 10, 15 years in different roles. But what other like aspects of that did you enjoy the most? Because I'm just curious from, the, from a product perspective. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, product has changed so much. You know, frankly, I don't even know if I would get hired as a product manager today because it's such a <laughs> data-driven, you know, almost technical role right now, you know, in terms of what great product managers are great at. They're really good at good A-B testing and good sort of experimentation. And there's a real skill set there that's now been developed. I mean, back when I fell into it, I have to guess maybe a few hundred product internet product managers in the world, right? Like it was, it was early times, right? There were only so many websites and the skill set was brand new. And in fact, one of the things I'm probably most proud of in my career is that I really came of age in the product world at a time when that wasn't even really a career path. It was sort of being defined as we went, much as was the entire internet industry, right? Like how the whole industry worked, how you made money, how you actually built businesses online, like all of that was new. So that was an exciting journey to be part of. And, you know, if you think back of it, like product management before the internet existed, was really about printing soft... I mean, I'm going back into ancient history here, right? But <laughs> it was about printing software onto CD-ROMs and you know shipping the, the software onto a CD-ROM that needs to get onto a truck that needs to get into a Best Buy or needs to get into a CompUSA or the like. And that's how you bought software. Like You didn't download right. it over the internet. And so then the internet came along and all of a sudden you could write software and immediately have it go live in front of you know millions or billions of people. And the sort of practice of how to do that effectively like changed dramatically over a decade or so from about mid to late 90s to mid to late 2000s yeah. you know 
when I first started in product, used to write this ridiculous document called a PRD, a product requirements document. That was this like 30 or 40 page document that the product manager would write that actually outlined how the product should function functionally. And then the document would go around and would actually get physical signatures from oh, wow. the head of marketing and the head of sales and the head of engineering and the head of QA, quality assurance and the head of design or whatever. And then people would actually sign off on it and then it would get handed to engineering and they would go build it. And then, you know, whatever, a couple, a month or two or three later, like you would launch that thing and hopefully it's what people want it. You're just so different from today where you're, you know, doing daily or weekly sprint planning and, you know, writing code and shipping it the same day and getting immediate feedback on if something works and you've run multiple amounts of, you know, both user testing and, and A-B testing in production before you actually launch something to your full user base. So that evolution of how all that works really happened kind of over the, I would say that during the 2000s yeah. is when that practice of product kind of became at its forefront. Yeah. And in your last, I guess, in your last few years at Yahoo and then at StumbleUpon, like, did you notice those changes even more as opposed to, as opposed to like, the beginning of your career? For sure. I mean, Yahoo uh, actually was was pretty darn good about being data-driven in certain aspects of the, the, the website. I would say in particular, you know, the Yahoo homepage team was always really good at doing heavy A-B testing and both in terms of what editorial content to run and had actually a pretty, pretty good personalized algorithm that would choose what articles to show to what people based on uh, sort of individual click preferences. And then also was pretty good at, at figuring out what type of modules to place in what part of the website in order to showcase the right type of functionality to the right users. And that evolved over time. Like, at the you know, in the early 2000s, like that was not really the case. And like when I was at the New York Times, we were just starting to experiment with even, I think we, we probably implemented a company-wide Omniture analytics package during my time there, which was 2003 to 2005. So, you know, all that stuff was just starting to happen. And StumbleUpon yeah. was fantastic at running A-B tests and really using data to inform implementation details and changes to the product. Yeah, and I remember using StumbleUpon and I remember how much I loved that product actually. It was so much fun to kind of just, you never know what you're gonna get from that. And to okay. customize it for each user is so obviously important. And they run so many, like now, so many companies, they run you know, dozens and dozens of tests simultaneously trying to figure out, optimize things. And to like the lay person, they have no idea what's going on. But like when you understand it, you're like, oh my God, they're doing so many tests to figure and optimize everything. Well, a lot of that became as bandwidth speeds got up and everyone was connecting through broadband and then over, you know, mobile and LTE networks and whatnot, you know, your ability to actually implement content changes that were personalized to the individual users and had time to actually go do the backend lookups to actually create personalization. Right. You know, a lot of that was just the maturation of technology, right? As much as it was companies learning how to properly run those types of, of technologies. But, you know, the, sort of the notion of personalized content, you know, really started to come about, I would say, in the, you know, kind of mid to late 2000s. And yep. um, that's where you really saw that start to explode. And obviously now with I mean, that's what social media is, right? Is it's it's highly personalized, highly algorithmically programmed content. Right, and it's only going to be more personalized. And that's something where you look at all this, you know, data stuff with Facebook and everything, and people don't understand that, you know, all this data is used to give you more customized, personalized ads that are relevant to you and all these things. And like we say, we don't necessarily want to give it up, but then do you want an ad that's not relevant? <laughs> so it's very interesting like concept for all this technology and everything now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as you've gone from product roles at these different companies, how did you end up at Techstars? Sure. When I was wrapping up my tenure at StumbleUpon, 
my sort of knew that my family and I wanted to move back to Los Angeles, which is where we had lived prior to moving up to the Bay Area for Stumbleupon. And but as part of that, I had been helping out a, a friend of mine who was a former colleague of mine from Yahoo, who had always been in Colorado. He had sold his company to Yahoo. He had been the CEO of the company and it was based in, in Denver. And after he finished his time at Yahoo, he took over the managing director role for Techstars Boulder. And so he was running the Techstars Boulder program and I'd stay in touch with him and, and sort of, he invited me to come out and spend some time with the program, meet the companies that were going through it, help mentor them and, and help, you know, just see if I could be a helpful resource to them. And so did that and totally fell in love with the process. So spent, you know, a day or two mentoring the companies in Techstars Boulder back in, I think it was 2013, found, a, you know, a couple of them that I really resonated with and enjoyed meeting with and started setting up a fairly regular time to help uh, them out. And um, then I think I scheduled one or two more trips out to Boulder during that three-month accelerator timeframe that summer. And the next thing you knew, at Techstars, I think, knew at that point that I was looking to move back to Los Angeles. They you know, kind of secretly had a, a new accelerator program in the works in LA that they were close to closing with Disney and um, asked me if I would want to take the managing director role with Techstars. And so ended up deciding to, to do that. And it was a pretty specific shift. Like I, I had that and I had one, I think I had two other opportunities that I was looking at at the time and made the, the real decision that kind of moving into the early stage startup um, investment and mentorship world was was really interesting to me and I was ready to do something different. Yeah. And the opportunity to work with, you know, a best in class company like Techstars and be able to combine that with, you know, a, a leading entertainment company like Disney and do that in LA just felt like an opportunity too good to pass up. So, yeah, you know, I guess long story short is, you know, Techstars has a real mantra of give first, which is, you know, the whole startup community exists by helping other people around you and sort of giving without necessarily knowing what may come back your way, but kind of assuming that good things will come back your way at some point. And, you know, I think that's exactly what happened, right? I was sort of giving first and helping out my my, my friend who was running the Boulder program and helping out right. the startups. And the next thing you knew, a, a nice opportunity sort of came my way. And, and now I've been here for almost six years. Wow. At the Boulder Techstars, I want to know like what type of involvement, you said you were helping out these startups, like what types of things were you doing or like challenges were they having back then? I'm just curious if you remember all that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the two biggest things that I brought to bear at that point were very much product background, right? Like having built lots of different products and run lots of different product teams and sort of worked in lots of different situations. So being able to help support companies as they were thinking about product related issues and then also just networking relationships. I mean, I'd been working basically in, even though I lived in LA for the most part of it, you know, working in the sort of Silicon Valley ecosystem for, you know, a decade. And so yeah. just lots of relationships and the ability to help these startups get introduced to the right folks who could help them with whether it's from a business development perspective or finding other mentors that could be useful to them. Yeah. And with the accelerator programs, I'm curious on how much you think it is. Obviously they have, you get funding and you get mentorship and you get access to other other resources in terms of whether it be people or whatever like what importance i guess would you put on the people side of it versus the financial side of it like what are these companies coming to these accelerators for kind of curious about that absolutely i think i mean every company needs needs finances to some extent right but i think for the most part i think the big value that techstars provides is much less the capital and much more the network yeah. and the support you know, helping startups find access to great mentors who can open doors for them, can help them with whatever 
issue they're dealing with at that moment in time. So if, if their goal right now is I want to, I need to figure out how to actually do proper pricing, right? We can help them find a mentor who is worked in a company similar to theirs and has figured out how to do, how to do pricing according to what the market needs or how to go find out what the market might need in order to price it, price your product accordingly. You know, if you need help scaling sales and figuring out how to structure a sales team, you know, obviously finding the right mentors to do that. If what you're needing right now is help with technology strategy or what you're needing right now is, you know, you're, you're really ready to go out and actually do strategic relationships across the vertical you're in and you need access to channel relationships there. I think that's where Techstars and, and, and other great accelerators really shine is you don't have to do it alone, right? Yeah. You can do it with the support of a much broader network. You know, as a company grows and scales and, you know, starts to get bigger and really build revenue and raise capital and do all the things that exciting startups do, they tend to naturally amass a lot of support around them, right? Like you look at a, a large growth company and, you know, they may have a board of directors of five to 10 people and, you know, lots of expertise around the table helping that company out. But when you're, you know, a team of two or three or four people, even up to five, 10 people, you know having access to people who are going to be essentially another co-founder and sit there in the driver's seat with you and find resources to help you is incredibly powerful and just helps make the entrepreneurial experience feel less lonely. Yes. <laughs> Cause it can uh, be incredibly lonely, especially when you're trying to like, depending on what your product is too, you're trying to change the world. You're trying to do something new or unique. Like it's so tough to do and you need that support system in place. That's right. And as you've kind of progressed through at, at Techstars, like, what have you noticed as to, you know, what you're looking for in terms of companies getting into these tech stars accelerators? Obviously, you have multiple ones all over the all over the country, all over the place. Like their team, their cohorts of ten, and then you said there was like 460 investments. I think it was you did last year. So, what are you looking for in these companies typically? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and just yeah, very briefly on tech stars. So we run now, I believe it's 46 uh, startup accelerator programs around the world each year. Um, you can view the list of the different accelerators we run at techstars.com slash programs, I think it is. Each one is a three-month intensive sort of boot camp oriented program. And those 46 programs are in geos all over the world. So our mantra is that great companies can be built anywhere. So we want to support founders wherever they may be. And we're looking to build and extend that accelerator footprint all over the world. You shouldn't have to move to London or New York or San Francisco to build your company. Like you, if you want to build your business in Chicago or you want to build your business in Berlin or, or wherever you may live, like we, our goal is to make that available to you in, you know, a core geo near you. Yeah. And so each one of those invests in 10 companies. So the, the question you asked was each program is run by an individual managing director. Yep. Um, so we have, you know, roughly 46 managing directors around the world. Each one is out scouring the world, looking for great companies that either are interested in the geo in which they live or are interested, some of, about three-fourths of our programs are vertically focused around a theme. And so they're also looking for companies that might fit that vertical theme that they work on. So for example, we run Amazon Alexa's Accelerator in Seattle all around the voice ecosystem, or we run Comcast's Accelerator program in Philadelphia all around media and connectivity, just as a few examples. Yeah. And so, you know, what we're looking for primarily, and this is a hard thing for kind of people to really put their finger on is we're looking for incredible entrepreneurs. We're looking for great teams. And in general, I think we say there are six things we look for. And the first three are team, right? So it's team, team, <laughs> team, market, progress, and idea. And 
At the end of the day, though, that what that triple emphasis on team means is that 50% of the criteria for getting into Techstars is the team itself. It's It almost has, has much less to do with the business than you might actually think. It is much more about who the people are. Because yeah. a great team can take a mediocre idea and turn it into an amazing business. And a not-so-well-constructed team can take an amazing idea and drive it into the ground, unfortunately. We've unfortunately seen that happen in both cases. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when we say team, 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 it really kind of hits all three of those mean something. So it's not just an overemphasis for the sake of overemphasizing. There are kind of three teams there. So the first being, do these founders show that they can execute? And do they show that they can understand how to do proper sort of learning around the thing they're trying to do? and they're coachable and that they understand how to take feedback from the market and actually make and, and translate that into product. And so it doesn't even mean you have to be live with your product. It just means from the first time we talk to you to the next time we talk to you to the next time we talk to you, if we've challenged your assumptions or have somehow you know asked difficult questions about your approach, if you didn't have the data then to sort of, like we're not looking for you to have all the answers, right? We're looking <laughs> for you to actually say, oh, that's a good point. You know, gr- great idea. We hadn't thought about that or you know, huh, we haven't considered that. And then the next time we talk to you, you've actually done something with that, right? You've actually gone out and run some experiments or you've done some customer development or maybe you've even built a prototype and gotten some feedback on it or maybe even shipped a feature to production and, and learned from it. And you've shown us that you can take feedback and you can implement and you can learn. You know, I, I often say great founders, you know, believe it or not, are actually, you know, I think the biggest risk you take is the day you decide to start your business. And from then on, great founders, what they're great at is actually de-risking the business because they're really good at understanding what the market wants and they out-execute the market relative to relative to other companies. So that's the first in team. Like, can yeah. they execute? And are they executing fast? Right. The second team is, are these people, do they have the right general background and experience for the kind of business they're trying to build? So what that means is, if you're trying to build a business that's very heavily brand oriented, has anyone on the team ever built a brand before in one way, shape or form, even if it's inside a big company? If the business is super sales oriented, does the team have anyone who's good at sales? If the business is very product and technology oriented, does the team have good product and technology people or have they outsourced all the tech? Is this the right team for the kind of business and the kind of company they're trying to build? Yeah. That's the, the sort of second critical team factor. And then the, the third critical team factor is what is the chemistry between these teammates? How do they make decisions? Have they discussed conflicts with one another? How do they resolve conflicts? There's uh, research that Professor Noam Wasserman, who's now at USC, previously was at Harvard Business School. He, he wrote a book called The Founder's Dilemma. And in that book, a bunch of his research reveals that roughly 60% of early stage startups fail because of team issues. <laughs> and so, you know, by actually trying to normalize the chemistry on the team and understand that, that can, that can really help reduce the risk of failure of the business. And so, you know, we'll often ask really pointed questions like looking the CTO in the eye and say, with the CEO sitting right next to him or her and say, you know, why are you the CTO? Why aren't you the CEO? How did you guys decide that that was the right focus area for each of you and see how they react to that? And if they laugh nervously and don't have a great answer, they've maybe actually not specifically talked about it. But <laughs> if the CTO is able to say, oh my gosh, well, that's obvious because you know I love to build product and, and sort of talk to customers and be heads down with technology. And my co-founder over here 
you know, is the vision person and is great at raising money and great at rallying support behind the, the company, then, you know, they're comfortable in their roles. I mean, you'd be surprised how often that is not the case in, a, in an early stage company. So anyway, those are the three teams. Uh, happy to talk about market progress idea if those are useful as well. But, yes, uh, oh, by all means. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, market, you know, I think these other three are some, somewhat more self-explanatory. I mean, market is, is this an interesting growing market that has some degree of change happening within it? You know, is it one that has some tailwinds where rising tides are going to float all boats? Um, or, it, you know, if it's a market with headwinds, does this company have a unique opportunity to kind of roll up and actually help people in the industry who might be struggling? Right. So one way or the other, is it a dynamic market, I think? And is it big enough? Like, is the opportunity there? And one of the critical things investors have to do is sometimes see the market opportunity slightly different than the founding team might even, right? So the investor might have some insight into how the market is changing that may play to the advantage of the founding team that the founding team isn't even seeing yet. And that's fine, Yeah. right? As long as the founding team still has general interest in that market and kind of how it could evolve. And then progress is, again, from the first time we meet you to the next time we meet you, it's, it's similar to execution. Are you continuing to push the ball forward or are you still pitching me the same sort of you know, slide deck that you shared with me three months ago, but you haven't shown demonstrable <laughs> progress in the business. Right. So just showing that you can actually go out there and make stuff happen on your own because so much of being a startup founder is actually creating something from nothing. The definition of the word startup. Yes. <laughs> um, and then idea is actually a, a more personal one than, um, than people maybe fully appreciate is as an investor, like you have to care about the thing that the company is working on, right? You're going to spend the next seven to 10 years of your life working with these founders. And that's actually often the hardest one for founders to fully appreciate is you may have an amazing team and be working on something really powerful in a big market. But if the investor you're talking to just isn't personally interested in that space, then it may just not, it maybe isn't meant to be, right? And so there is a bit of a personal preference around idea and sort of, is this a thing that is interesting? to yeah. me or to others that does matter in getting an early stage company funded. Yeah, and to that point of, you know, knowing what the VC is interested in and trying to figure out that side of it out, like what do you think what type of research I guess then should these startups or entrepreneurs and everything be doing on the accelerator they want to apply to or the, you know, VC they want to work with? What type of research should they be doing? What should they be thinking about? Well, I think in this day and age of social media and publishing and this that, and the other, like a lot of people are like that is how a lot of investors actually source companies is they put little little breadcrumbs out there in the internet world about the kind of stuff that's sort of piquing their interest at that moment in time. And so, you know, some of that is just doing your homework on who you're about to talk to or who you're trying to reach out to and seeing if they're interested. You can also look at at their portfolio and what are other companies that they funded. Most investment firms, you know, obviously publish their portfolio online, or you can go to Crunchbase or other sources like that to find that. And kind of general rule of thumb is you shouldn't reach out to someone who's invested in a direct competitor of yours. But if it's along similar industry lines or along similar thematic lines, then that could make a lot of sense because it, it might mean that that investor sort of views the world the same way you're thinking about it. Yeah. And one of the things I always wanted to dig into with Techstars, and I asked you a little bit when you were actually at USC, but yeah. the, the companies that don't get accepted into the accelerators, can you describe more of that flow of companies and what you do for the companies that don't get into the accelerators? Of course. I mean, which, you know, is a lot, right? We have a, I mean, roughly about a 1% acceptance rate. So, you know, 10 companies out of roughly a thousand per program is sort of the general math. Right. And so we are, 
you know, we're trying to give individual feedback to startups when they don't get accepted around why. And the general rule of thumb is if any startup writes the managing director or gets in contact with them, you know, if they do get the sort of notice that they weren't accepted and asks why or what feedback they have, you know, the, the managing director should reply and share, you know, some sort of insight about the business. We're also trying to do more to help expose other resources we have at Techstars for those companies. So one of the things Techstars does in addition to our accelerator footprint and accelerator investing is is a, a huge community footprint around the world. So we run all the startup weekends and startup weeks around the world and are working really hard to curate startup communities in cities around the world. Startup weekend footprint is is crazy. I think we run over a thousand startup weekends. I mean, it's all wow. it's volunteer community driven, but over a thousand startup weekends around the world in somewhere around 600 cities in hundred plus countries Jeez. around the world each year. And so, you know, working, we have a lot of local community support and folks that are just really there to help support founders and startups. And so we're trying to do more to also help you if you maybe didn't get into the accelerator just give you more resources locally to help you plug in and help you continue to have support growing your business. Yeah. And do you necessarily track like one year to the next or do companies like, okay, they applied this last, this last cohort last time and they didn't get in, but they got in next time. I don't know if you track those metrics or not. It's curious. We do see lots of companies who get into Techstars on their second, third, fourth, fifth application. <laughs> I don't know that I have the stats of how many sort of repeat applicants end up getting in off the top of my head, unfortunately. Yeah, that's okay. But we do, I mean, and, and the way our application system works is when you do apply, you know, multiple times, like we're able to see your prior applications as well and even see notes that the, you know, a previous managing director may have reviewed the application, may have left in the system and everything. So it's all one continuous sort of flow and process, but that's helpful. Again, that's back to the first thing I mentioned when I said team, team, team. The first team was like, are you showing signs of execution, right? So yeah. if we met you a year ago and, and you know, you, you were at this place and those are there in your notes from when you maybe weren't accepted a year ago and then you apply again and you're applying to a different program or you even apply to the same program at Techstars and you've gone from where you were to where you are now and you've shown marked progress and you've shown, even if the business hasn't really taken off yet, right? Like you're not seeing a ton of revenue yet or you're not seeing a ton of user growth, but like you've dramatically de-risked the market or you've dramatically figured out how you're going to approach things, that will be noted and that's great data for our team. Yeah, exactly. And it makes it so much easier, not necessarily so much easier, but definitely easier that if you can show those metrics in the second or third application, whatever it may be, of, of getting into Techstars, because obviously it is so selective. But if you can show that progress, I imagine you guys look at that and you do yeah, do take that into account. So sure, of course. definitely something to look at. And then just since you've been at Techstars, I'm just curious on how kind of Techstars has evolved since like you got there to where you're at now. Absolutely. I mean, it's that's one of the most interesting parts of being at Techstars is in addition to you know, being a globally scaled investment organization, like we are our own growth stage startup. <laughs> I, I mean, when I joined, we were probably about 30 people. And I think when I came on board to, to launch the Disney Accelerator, I think that was our eighth accelerator program around the world. You know, and now we're well over 250 employees. And you know, like I said, 45 plus accelerators around the world. So, you know, pretty tremendous growth. And as part of that, it's been bringing on, you know, our own sort of executive team at Techstars and like learning in our own way, the kind of culture we want to be as we grow the business of Techstars, you know, and like we've had a bunch of best practices that have come out of our own growth that I recommend to startups all the time in terms of how they should 
scale out their leadership teams, how they should run staff meetings, yeah. how they should communicate internally. We're a massively distributed organization. You know, I think we have 30 plus locations in 13 countries Ooh. around the world, <laughs> like full-time offices. And so like how we, you know, stay in touch with each other and communicate and, and share information without all being in a common office, like that's, that is mirroring how a lot of companies are built today. And so, you know, I think there's been a ton of learnings just on our own operational growth that we're able to share back to our companies as they're growing as well. Yeah, and, and some of those things are like, like Techstars Music and then the recent Techstars Starburst Space Accelerator, which, I mean, exciting programs. Can you talk about those at all? Of course, yeah. So yeah, here in LA, we currently are running three different accelerators. So we run Techstars LA, which is our horizontally focused program that is uh, run by a woman named Anna Barber, which is all focused on, um, you know, primarily companies that want to build a network in Los Angeles, right? Companies that are interested in growing their Southern California presence. Yeah. This summer will be the third Techstars LA program that, that we will have run. We also have Techstars Music, which is uh, in session right now with our third Techstars Music program. And that's run by uh, a guy named Bob Mazalowski. And Techstars Music, the theme, you know, that program is all about companies that are innovating in and around the music industry. It doesn't necessarily mean we're investing in 10 streaming music companies. <laughs> you know, we've had companies in the music program over the last couple of years that have been everything from, you know, facial recognition, a company called Blink Identity that actually uh, announced a pilot with Ticketmaster during the program last year to pilot technology of your face is your ticket using facial rec, which is pretty cool, wow. you know, to companies that are, that are doing full generative AI to actually create music as AI. So all sorts of interesting technologies in the, in the music space. And, and that's a very global program. We have companies from all over the world that come to LA for that program. And we run that program in partnership with a number of the major record labels and major management promotion companies in the music space as partners. And then uh, the Techstar Starburst Accelerator, we just announced. Yes. Techstar Starburst Space Accelerator, we just announced a couple weeks ago. And uh, that program is very exciting. It's in conjunction with a number of leading aerospace companies. The focus there is a fewfold. One is companies that are innovating in the space sector, right? They're building technologies that will go out of our atmosphere. Yeah. Whether that's microsatellites or, you know, large-scale computer vision implementations or other things. And then... Other technologies that are relevant for that program as well include companies in vertical sectors that maybe aren't necessarily space focused, but that where eyes in the sky and sort of access to large visual data sets and the like can help those companies along. So for example, if you're building a business in the agriculture space and having access to like deep computer vision of what's, you know, what's happening in crop yield around the world could impact your business and, you know, having access to mentors who are great at aerospace from that perspective right. um, could impact your business. And that's also relevant. So three very exciting programs here. Yeah, that's awesome. And your involvement. So like, what is your involvement with Techstars now and kind of what are you doing day to day? Yeah, you bet. So I'm a member of our investment team at Techstars. So um, what that means, like I said, I used to be a managing director. I ran our Disney Accelerator program that we operated for a few years here in LA with Disney, 2014, 2015. Right. And then I had a role that was basically head of our North American Accelerator programs. So for a couple of years, just basically was helping us as we were growing and scaling and adding a lot of new accelerators in the years 2016, 2017 hired a number of our managing directors and really helped us grow and scale our footprint here in North America. And then a couple of years ago, moved on to our investment team. So my role is basically helping increase the equity value of our portfolio. And that is either by making direct 
follow on investments, seed and series A into our existing Techstars portfolio companies, as well as helping to build out products and services that help our portfolio scale. So investing in things like helping our portfolio companies build connectivity with the investment community at large and, uh, and other areas where we can basically take this portfolio of nearly 2,000 companies right now that have gone on to raise, I think the latest number is close to $7 billion in follow-on capital and actually help them continue to grow and increase in value. Yeah. Wow. That is quite the change for you then, I guess, from from product originally early in your career to this point. And I guess, what are you most excited for like right now with what, everything you're working on? Oh, man. I think that what I'm really excited about is I think that at Techstars, like, we are building a true global platform to support entrepreneurship in a way that I don't think really exists, right? I think there are lots of great investment firms out there and there are lots of great places you can go as a founder and you know, kind of uproot your life and actually go build a business somewhere. But if you really want support in your local entrepreneurial startup community, I think Techstars is building a unique brand that is going to be able to do that both locally but then has the global scale across all of that to make an impact and connect those individual local dots in a way that creates a true worldwide network. And what do you think the, the gaps or the challenges are right now with that? You know, the, the biggest one is it's reducing by the day. Yeah. But the biggest one is just access to people in kind of non-core markets, people who have seen scale before and who have grown something notable before. I think it's one thing to have a great idea and kind of get it to this stage where it's starting to scale. But at some point, as you're building a business, you do need access to people who've kind of been there, done that. And so, you know, obviously, if you're in the Bay Area, you're in New York or somewhere like that, like there are people like that in spades. But if you're in smaller metros and smaller geos, there are fewer of those people. And I think that is changing as we're now 30 years into, you know, the internet and sort of internet scale technology, like being a thing, you are starting to see more and more people who maybe spent 10 years in the Bay Area or spent 10 years wherever, like moving back home or moving into, you know, a smaller city. And so, you know, those skill sets are starting to be more transferable. And I just think we're getting to the the point where distributed workforce and everything is much more possible than it used to be. But that still is the biggest problem that I think companies have as they grow. It's just access to scaled talent. Yeah. And another thing I'm trying to think of with the founders and these people all over the the world, essentially, obviously they need more resources and Techstars has done a great job with that, with being all all around the world with accelerators all everywhere. And I guess I'm I'm curious if there's other, any other resources, maybe outside Techstars or even just like online platforms and stuff that, you know, founders or potential founders can go to, to learn more, to like understand how to build a team, to understand how to grow a company, or even just getting that the first few steps in like any other resources, I guess you suggest to them. Yeah. A couple of resources that that are kind of my go-to sources, right? So one is on the fundraising side, any founder who is trying to raise capital for the first time, absolutely should read uh, Brad Feld's book, Venture Deals. It is, um, it sounds dry, but it's actually a really quick and easy read and quite well-written. And it really breaks down how, you know, all the structural sort of components of a term sheet and a venture financing deal. I list, I actually still listen to it on Audible about uh, once a year, just while I'm driving around, you know, commuting around LA, <laughs> just to keep me fresh and make sure I'm, you know, I'm always sort of on point with each of the, items in there. So it's, it's a great read. Um, another is the law firm Pooley. 
on their Cooley, they have a website called Cooley Go that is a bunch of resources for early stage startups. First of all, they have a great blog and then they have a ton of good resources on just best practices docs around financing. I do tend to see, particularly at the earliest of stages, founders, you know, who end up with some wonky docs and things like that when they maybe have a deal being led by, you know, an angel who maybe hasn't done a whole lot of work in the early stage technology world before and doesn't kind of isn't isn't used to what are quote unquote standard deal terms. So the Cooligo website is a good way for a founder to just kind of double check. Hey, I'm I'm getting a term sheet. How do these terms translate to what kind of is industry standard? Um, and I would say Cooley and as well as the NVCA, the Natural Venture National Venture Capital Association, yep. both are doing a pretty good job now of sort of trying to standardize a lot of those terms in a world that was completely black box and non-standard a decade ago, even. Right. You know, other resources that are good, I think, I mean, there's just, depending on what vertical you're in or what what type of business you're building, there's just so many great bloggers and things out there now. So, you know, if you're if you're building a SaaS business, like following the Saster blog. Yeah. yeah, there's I mean, there's so many specifics, exactly, with different industries, different verticals, whatever it may be, that can you can get help from in that way. So I think that's important to note. Yeah, whatever, depending on what you're building. And, and one of the things I'm just kind of curious I hadn't brought up yet was, obviously, you're focused on these companies that can scale and companies that can grow massive. But I mean, how often do you have in these accelerators, have you seen previously, I know you're now you're on a different side of it, but companies that just were like, not really VC-backed company material, but they could be awesome, like lifestyle businesses. I mean, have you seen that frequently or not really? That is a great question. Absolutely. And venture isn't for everyone, right? Like not every business should strive to be a venture scale business. And I think that we actually probably artificially condition entrepreneurs to think that they need to be venture scale when that isn't necessarily the kind of business everyone wants to build. And, uh, you know, we, we do try to help our founders while they're in Techstars figure that out. Like if they are there and they decide, you know, hey, the, kind of growth at all costs is not really the kind of culture I want to build, right. you know, that's okay. And, you know, we'll help and support them and try to help them find a path to that. I mean, maybe you've only ever raised a few hundred thousand dollars of early angel money to kind of get you going, but you've scaled the business to 10 or 15 or $20 million in annual revenue. Like that's amazing. That's a huge win that everyone should be happy about. Right. There are a couple of movements underway that are pretty interesting. If you've ever heard of Indie.VC, it's run by infamous on Twitter as at Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E. He's building a whole structure around how essentially a company can actually build some alternative financing to where at some point along your journey, if you realize that this probably isn't going to be a venture scale type of business, that there are still ways to get some liquidity back to your investors, even if it's not at the sort of venture scale markup that an investor may have been thinking they were looking for when they first made the investment. Yeah. You know, things like that, I think, are, are, are great and, uh, and will probably only continue to get more popular. Yeah, it's such an important thing to know that there are many options for entrepreneurs. And like, like you said, that not everyone's going to be a venture-backed company like by any means. But knowing that ahead of time, I think it's kind of been, you know, romanticized that everything is the huge company, the billion-dollar company. But while that is certainly a noble goal, there are other alternatives that could be great companies. And you would love that, but just you have to understand that going into it, I think, what your potential is maybe in in the company you're starting. And one other thing I'm kind of wondering about before we kind of wrap things up here is just, is there any other kind of advice you'd give to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs? I mean, the biggest advice I think I have is try to find one or two really key mentors, like people who are 5, 10, 15 years more experienced than you, 
have the time to sit down and meet with you regularly in person. I mean, not, not even over the phone, but like sit down and actually are going to carve out the time to meet with you that you can come to when you have problems. And, you know, if you're wholly relying on your investors for that or wholly relying on your employees for that or your team for that, you're probably missing out. I am not a huge advocate in creating like a large scale advisory board. I mean, I think that's fine, but I actually think mentorship is something different. Like who are the actual people who are there? Because yeah, sure, they're excited about the business you're building, but first and foremost, they're there because of you. Right. (laughs) right? They're They're there to help you almost regardless of what it is you're working on at that moment in time. And so I think that that part of mentorship to me, if, if you were trying to build an early stage business and you, you can't name like here are the two or three people I would call my mentors, take some time and go try to actually, I mean, it's kind of an awkward question to say like, Hey, will you be my mentor? But, you know, try to actually engage people and say like, Hey, I, you know, I really value your help and advice. Like it would be mean the world to me if we could find time to meet. And, you know, any good mentor relationship really is a two way street. Like the, the mentor is learning as much as the mentee is. Exactly. And at Techstars, you, you had mentioned kind of like, you're also a company that's growing themselves as well. Like, what are you looking for in terms of that team side of things? If you kind of know personnel wise, what you're kind of looking for? I mean, in the absence of naming specific positions we're hiring for right now, which I'm sure are live on our website. Right, um, that, yeah. I mean, primarily it's people who, I mean, we're, we're, like I said, we're at 250 plus people right now. We're looking for people who care about founders and are wanting to contribute to building what I think is going to be the most powerful network to support entrepreneurs on the planet. That's awesome. And where can people go to find more about you and everything you're doing and everything Techstars is up to as well? Uh, sure. I mean, for Techstars, you know, techstars.com, of course, and then our Twitter, just at Techstars, um, which are two great places to start. For me, I'm at Cody Sims on Twitter, at C-O-D-Y-S-I-M-M-S. I've become less active on social media lately because I'm kind of head down, <laughs> but, you know, I post from time to time. And then I blog even less frequently <laughs> at medium.com slash at Cody. But, uh, you know, have a few things there that, you know, if you want to read and comments and engage, like I'd love to engage back with you. Awesome. Cody, thank you so much for the time today, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.